All right, here we go on Conference Championship Sunday morning in Las Vegas. I'm Brian Feldman, and coming to you live from the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp Studios, this is Out of Line. We are back live in the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp Studio, and we are here every Sunday morning at 8 on Fox Sports, Radio 98.9 FM at 1340 AM, flagship of the Vegas Golden Knights and sister station of Raiders Nation Radio. Uh, here with me, social media director spencer i can't do it because he's in here right now i can't get his theme music going the whiz ostrovsky wow look at that and here and uh also here producer chris magnum chapman who aside from producing a number of shows at lotus broadcasting also serves as the locker room reporter for the vegas golden knights radio network and the unlv football pre pre-game show host on our other sister station espn radio las vegas we're also streaming on the lv sports network and if you can watch the show uh live on facebook live and youtube the page is called out of line that's o-u-t-t-a-l-i-n-e um you can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Line Fox LV. And since we are live, your calls and questions are welcome. The Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio line is 702-876-1340. Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. What's on Tap, brought to you by title sponsor, Residential Bank Corp. Whether purchasing a new home or refinancing the home you already own, Residential Bank Corp is the company to turn to for all your home financing needs. Residential Bank Corp, funding America one neighborhood at a time. Call 702-964-5720 for details and to get information on all of the home financing options available in Nevada. On tap, after last night's overtime loss to the New York Islanders, the Vegas Golden Knights, head into the All-Star break on the heels of a four-game road losing streak. The UNLV Rebels have won two straight and have now beat their interstate rival three times in a row. We'll talk about that. The Las Vegas uh, Aces picked up a future Hall of Famer who will be in, um, I guess, who will be the quarterback for the Raiders. We didn't get Spencer's opinion last week, and he is the biggest Raiders fan I know. So we're going to talk to him about who he thinks is going to be their upcoming quarterback and what free agents are most important for them to hang on to. And as I said, it's Conference Championship Sunday, and we have a lot to say about it. That's what's on tap. If you are looking to buy a home or to refinance the home you currently own, choose a company you can trust, Residential Bank Corp, Funding America, one neighborhood at a time. Call 702-964-5720 for details on all of your home financing options. We're going to get right into it, fellas, this this morning. A lot to cover here, and uh, the Vegas Golden Knights, man, a lot to talk about with them. So let's hit it. It's time for Nightcap. Every game. It's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here. Well, the puck does start here, and it uh, it ended last night. I should say it stopped for a little over a week as the Vegas Golden Knights get the All-Star break. And I'll tell you, in their six years of existence, I can't think of a 
time for that break to come better than this season where they started like a house on fire. This team was among the top teams in the National Hockey League at the beginning of the season, almost unbeatable at times. Two new goaltenders to start the season for the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, we all know about that. Thompson getting his first chance to be the number one goaltender for the Vegas Golden Knights, and it's worked out pretty good. Um, and then, of course, Aiden Hill picked up a late in the offseason, right before the start of this season, from the San Jose Sharks, and uh, he's been the number two guy. We'll talk about both those guys. Um, in this losing streak, and yesterday, if you want to look at it, it was an overtime loss to the Islanders. In the last two periods and in overtime, the Vegas Golden Knights played really well in both the second and third period. Carrier gets his 12th goal of the season. Him and Shea Theodore back now, which is huge for the Vegas Golden Knights. Two integral part of the parts of this team, both original members of the misfits that came with the Vegas Golden Knights at the beginning of, of their tenure here in Las Vegas. And uh, it's huge to have both those guys back. And Phil Kessel, a guy I bagged on a little bit and said is, you know, is on the verge of being a healthy scratch when this team gets completely healthy and everyone back. Well, he had seven shots on goal last night to lead the team. Three goals in his last seven games. He is trying to say, look, keep me in the lineup. Keep my game playing streak going. And right now, I think it's justified that um, it, it does stay going and Bruce Cassidy will keep him in the, in the game. Logan Thompson has definitely proven he is the number one goaltender on this team. And he's, matter of fact, the only representative of the Vegas Golden Knights in the All-Star game. I would make a case that maybe Alec Petrangelo Alex Petrangelo should have been an all-star this year. I mean, the guy's one of the best defensive players in the league. Um, and if you look at not just his offensive production this year, because he's an, uh, one of the best two-way defenders in the National Hockey League, it's his overall production. The guy just is always in the right place at the right time, does the right things. And in my mind, he should have probably been a second all-star for the Vegas Golden Knights. But I think it's really cool that Logan Thompson gets this opportunity to play in the all-star game. 20 games is all he played last season. He really did everything in his power to keep the team in it right until the end. As for when I say in it, in it for a playoff spot. Of course, they fell short of that. But this year, this guy has stepped up. And yesterday, Chris, you can't blame Logan Thompson for the loss last night. Well, yeah, Brian. I mean, you've kind of touched on on a lot of things there, but hard to blame Logan Thompson for for either of, of the losses in on the East Coast. He played exceptionally well against New Jersey on Tuesday night, a game that the Golden Knights blew a 2-1 to lead. Um, look, there's no way around that. I don't care. You're up 2-1 to with a minute to go, 70 seconds, 90 seconds, whatever. You need to win that game. Absolutely. Don't care about moral victories at this point. This team is beyond moral victories. They're not the Ottawa Senators. They're not the Arizona Coyotes. They're not the Anaheim Ducks. You're talking to a Lions fan. I don't yeah, talk about yeah. moral victories. Moral victories for a team that has Stanley Cup aspirations are garbage. Get them the hell out of here. I don't care. They should have won that game against New Jersey. They were better than New Jersey for a majority of that game. Logan Thompson was better than Vitek Vanacek in that game. Yep. Last night, they were better than the Islanders for large stretches of that game. Now, it wasn't the same situation, right? You're, you're, you're trailing one or one nothing. William Carrier ties the game late in the second period. His 12th goal, as you mentioned, this season. You know, William Carrier is actually the fourth leading goal scorer on the Golden Knights. Cool as hell. Love what he's it's, been doing. It's, They're it, gonna, you know, he's up to the third line, Chris. Well, and he well, could be a first or second line I'll say, player. I'll say this about William Carrier. Every time he scores a goal, it's setting a new career high for him. Because yep. last year it was, I believe, 10. This nine, year he, nine. Nine. Last year this, was this his year career up to 12. Yep. And we've still got 30-something games to go for William Carrier to continue to add goals to his, his career high. 
But William Carrier should not be your fourth leading goal scorer. I understand that. He made a joke last night, Chris, if you heard him after, when he get, when he had the penalty shot. And he said, you know, normally I would never be a guy you're choosing to take a penalty yeah. shot. He had, you know, it just so happens he broke in and got the penalty yeah, yeah, shot yeah, against yeah. him. But. But, 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 but to speak about Logan Thompson, I know he took the loss against New Jersey really hard. And to me, the team... As in the leadership of the of this organization, I'm not I'm not looking for Paul Cotter to be that guy. I'm not looking for Brett Howden or Michael Amadio to nope. be that guy. I'm looking at Jack Eichel, Jonathan Marcheseau, Riley Smith, William Carlson, Alec Petrangelo to have been the guys to rally around that and say, "Hey, look, our goalie is out here taking the blame for our crap play yep. the last few weeks, the last few games." It, they came out last night, and and like you said, Varlamov, good goalie. The guy hadn't won a game in a month. The guy, well, had but not he won decides a, yesterday to play his best well, game, but, maybe but, of the season. No, that I don't. I, I'm sick of of the goalie has is, is playing. We we we've heard that excuse. We we heard <laughs> that excuse in the bubble when Thatcher Demko was was ridiculous, and then and then Anton Hudobin, who I don't even know if he's still in the league. Three years later. Shuts down the Golden Knights in the yep. playoffs. Uh, look, we, we we saw it against Montreal. Oh well, these guys were they they just picked a great time to play their best. No, no, I, I I'm sick of that excuse. I'm sick of oh well, the goalie was was phenomenal. Logan Thompson deserved to win that game yep, last night. Sure did. Logan Thompson deserved to win the game against New Jersey, and these guys are letting him down. Yep, and that's on the the. The, what, what, what bugs me is we saw it last year. Mark Stone goes down, and you mean to tell me there's not one guy in that locker room who could elevate his play to the point that you're 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 not going to replace Mark Stone. You're not going to replace what he brings in terms of leadership, the, and, well, especially and, on special teams. Mark and, Stone and, and is the one of the is, better special like, teams. I, 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 I for for a long time have felt that maybe Mark Stone. Was was maybe a bit overrated by the fans, and and this is me admitting that I was wrong. I felt maybe maybe he was he was overrated a bit by by the fans. The reality is, Mark Stone should be in con- the conversation for the freaking Hart Trophy every single year. Because if you if you tell me that there are a handful of guys in this league that are more valuable and more important to their team than Mark Stone. Look at the way this team has played the last two seasons with Mark Stone not in the lineup. That guy deserves to be in the conversation for the freaking Hart Trophy every single year because I can't think of too many players in the NHL who are more valuable. Valuable. I don't care about statistics. No, I know what right? you're Connor saying. McDavid can score 100 goals. No, Chris, I'll but, say but, that. But, but when it comes to value, Mark Stone is one of the most, if not the most, Valuable player in the NHL. And I, I, I'm i not saying that as a homer. I'm saying that from what I have witnessed from this team the last two years when Mark Stone is not in the lineup, they are not a good hockey team when Mark Stone is not in the lineup. Just look at the results. Look at the way this team performs when he's not in the lineup. I can't believe that there is not one guy in that locker room who cannot step up and lead this team. You have multiple former captains in that locker room. We saw, and and Max Pacioretty caught a lot of crap for the comments he made when he left here 
about the country club atmosphere and no accountability. Where is the accountability, Pretty Brian? Good. Chris, the, 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 the leadership, when you talk about the guys in the upper office, the executives, they're the ones creating prima donnas by the way that they run this organization. I've said it to begin with. I've never seen an organization in any professional sport where they limit the amount of players you talk to. As we've talked about, you go into the visitor's locker room, everybody is accessible. You can even get a one-on-one with the visitor's coach. You can't with Bruce Cassidy, and you cannot talk to players that you want to talk to. Maybe if you request them, you could. But uh, like two or three guys come out, and that's who you're going to be talking to. That is protecting the players too much, and it's making them prima donnas where I see the country club atmosphere. Well, but there, again, there, Chris, there needs to be accountability. To your, to your point with Mark Stone, and I agree 100%, if ever a guy was fitting to wear the C, he is a guy that is a captain of a hockey team, and the perfect guy to be the first ever captain, and still the reigning captain of the Vegas Golden Knights. They need him on the ice, and his ability, Chris, as you mentioned, all around, but it is on special teams where they are hurting. Look at how good they were early in the season with Mark Stone on special teams. They were for a long time the best team with shorthanded goals, and yet it wasn't Mark Stone scoring them, but he was helping create those shorthanded opportunities. And he is a guy, especially when they are shorthanded, that Mark Stone can get in there and, and he just really can play. You see how good of a defensive player he is at that time. I agree with you 100%. But when you say people stepping up, yes, Jack Eichel is still a younger guy. He's not the most vocal guy in the world, but the bottom line is people considered him when he was drafted, and after about two years into his career, before the back problems, as probably the third best player in the National Hockey League behind Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews. He's not even in the top ten, in my opinion, from what I've seen. He started the year well, and I don't want to put too much weight on this guy, and again, he really played well defensively. He saved a goal himself last night. I'll give him credit for that, but Jack Eichel is not on this team to play defense. He is on this team to put the puck in the net and be one of the most prolific scorers in the National Hockey League today. He's not doing that, and you've seen Bruce Cassidy's frustration with Jack Eichel because, again, he Bruce Cassidy's a guy that doesn't hold back, not necessarily wears his heart on his sleeve, but he definitely speaks his mind, and when asked about Jack Eichel, he had a lot to say, and you could see he expects more out of him, and right now, with Mark Stone out of the lineup, it's great to get Shea Theodore back. You can see how much he means to this team on both ends of the ice last night, and Will Carrier has, be, has quietly become one of the leaders of this team and a guy they depend on. But Jack Eichel was brought here to lead on the ice offensively, and that he is not doing. And that is a big reason this Golden Knights team is going backwards and stuck in the mud. And again, I've been very hard on Phil Kessel. You know, I think that's a guy that has motivated himself to get, he's tired, and you know he's hearing wow, he should be a healthy scratch. He should be a healthy scratch when everyone gets healthy. And Phil Kessel, to his credit, the last 10 games, has stepped up and played better hockey. For a guy his age, yeah, he's played I, as good as you could expect. You, you've, you've gotten contributions from William Carlson the last couple yep. of nights, right? I think four goals in his last couple of games. But but Jonathan Marchessault's come back from injury, and he, he hasn't been the same player. I think he's got one goal since he came back. He's been a ghost. R- Riley Smith, they, they should put him on a, on a milk carton right now because... He's been MIA. I think he's got one goal. He was one of the leaders in the league in shorthanded goals. One goal since the middle of December. Yeah. One goal since the middle of December. I mean, look, I mean, you you can't expect guys to go out and score every single night, right? Like, that's just not realistic. Connor McDavid does that. Austin Matthews, who's now out for a couple weeks with a knee injury, he does that type of stuff. But, But, Brian, I mean, the absence of Mark Stone, it's a reason. It's a reason. 
But there's too much talent on this team to get their asses kicked by the Arizona Coyotes last no doubt. week. No there's doubt. too much talent for them to go to MSG and get their doors blown off yep. by the New York Rangers. They got swept by the Islanders and the Rangers. The Devils come here in, in a few weeks. They have an opportunity to get swept by the Devils. Where is that team we saw kick the crap out of the Washington Capitals a week ago yesterday? I understand, right? We we even talked about it. The Capitals have some, some injuries. Alex Ovechkin caught the Vegas flu. He missed Saturday night's game. The Golden Knights were a team that smelled blood. There was no sympathy. There was no feeling sorry for the Capitals. They went out there and they blew the doors. My buddy, a Capitals fan, tweeted out, well, I just wasted 400 bucks to come watch my crappy Capitals. That's how much the Golden Knights kicked their well, ass. They were, all, like, they were without Alex Ovechkin, and that yeah, is a gigantic hole. But, 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 but the... But the, the you mean to tell me that that Capitals team, even without Ovechkin, no. is, is worse that than the That was the best we had seen the Knights play in weeks. And it seems like all the frustration came out. They scored six goals that night, and we thought, okay, they're getting they back the on page. track. Yeah. And then they go the next day to Arizona, and they look like a completely they different lay an team. Egg. Yes. Now, question for you, and, and I, I, I want to stick, stick to our time here, but um, Aiden Hill. You know, I understand they're not scoring goals in front of them, but the last couple of starts for Aiden Hill, I have seen some pretty bad goals go in the net. Now, I've seen him make some decent saves, but you start wondering. I Granted, the Silver Knights are not having a lot of success in the AHL either. But well, for Laurent a minute, Brossois, they're, Brossois, Brossois, have both been pretty, yes. pretty good. When do you decide to say, you know what, let's bring Laurent Brossois up here and put him behind, and he'd be the guy to start spelling Logan Thompson. And just to take a look, I thought by now we would see it, and especially the last game when they played the Rangers a, a couple of the goals in that game I thought were pretty chippy yeah you know Brian it, it's tough to say because the team in front of him hasn't been very good right but we, we we've heard Bruce Cassidy multiple times you and I we sit in that post-game press conference and we analyze things that Bruce Cassidy says and while he stops short of calling out his goalies he has on multiple occasions made the comment that well their goalie made a big save, ours didn't. Their goalie made one more save than ours. Multiple times we've heard him use comments like that. I'm not saying that either goalie has been bad. I just don't know if either goalie is capable of stepping up and stealing games for you the way we've seen Marc-Andre Fleury do it. And, 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 and it's not a fair comparison. It's so unfair for me to put Aiden Hill yeah, and Logan. But you know but, what, you know what, Chris, where it's not unfair but, is but like Varlamov, Bill Foley wants says they're good. This is the year to win a Stanley well, Cup. Well, so you need a goaltender well, to step here, up. For here, that. Here's the thing, Brian. Where's Bill Foley been? <laughs> I mean, seriously. I mean, we we heard him make the comment last year at the end of the season. He's on the other side of the milk carton from yeah, Riley well, Smith. Well, he, he he made the comment that that he was gonna be more more active and more involved. And I mean, I don't even think I've I've seen a statement from him. And I understand he's a very, very busy man, and he, he's out there buying soccer teams now. But, <laughs> but I mean, I, 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 I will just relay what I have seen from fans. The fans are not happy because apparently this was the week that renewal notices went out for season tickets, and the Golden Knights raised prices again. So I have seen fans, and I, I, I don't know who listens to this show, but I can tell you, that I have seen fans making the comments that they are they're done. They're not renewing. 
because it's it's an opportune time when the team is awful to send these notices out, and you're raising prices again. We already have the highest ticket prices yep. in the NHL, and that has probably a lot to do with the resale value, right? Like when when the Red Wings came here, it was loaded with Red Wing play or fans, and and a couple of Red Wing legends were were, were in that attendance coolest, as well. That was the coolest. And that thing was ever. A, that was a Dallas game. There yeah. were a couple of Red Wing legends yep. in attendance too, but. I'll you tell know, you, my highlight, the highlight of my season, as you know, for me, getting to meet uh, Nick Lidstrom. When oh, I was back in Detroit, I, I actually interviewed Steve Eiserman before, but I've never met Nick Lidstrom personally. Yeah. And me and Chris win an opportunity. We spent about 10 minutes. You took the picture for us, yeah. but we spent about five, 10 minutes talking to him. And I was talking about the Detroit Lions. How cool is that, having yeah. a conversation but, with maybe the greatest defensive player in ever. NHL yeah. history about the Detroit Lions? I'll live with that forever. That's what will be one of my great yeah. memories. And then Chris Osgood, literally, Hey, what's going on here? Walks up to talk to us as well. Yeah. That was pretty damn cool, but, man. But to get back to your original question, yeah. I, I think you need a shakeup of some sorts. And it's not going to be Logan Thompson. Although, with Logan Thompson, you have the option to send him down. And and I, I can't imagine why. Right, but uh, he, he can't get picked claim. That's that's the yeah. one benefit. And, and the thing is... Even if you do it for one game, you saw Lecision, man. The minute they sent him down, yeah, he got scooped up by the and, Rangers. And he played instantly. against the Golden yeah, Knights sure tonight, you know. Sure but did. but I mean, the option is there. I think at some point you have to give Laurent Brossois an opportunity just to just to see what you've got. Well, he's an NHL goaltender playing he, in the AHL. Yeah, truly, and, and and so I I don't know how close we are to that. I wonder if if that's something that's going through the minds of of Kelly McCrimmon and 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 Bruce Cassidy. Hey, you know we've got Loren Brossois and Henderson. He's played pretty well since he you know after he he had the rough start, which of course is to be expected. You know you come back from injury, you're, you you got to get your timing back and all that. But him and Yuri Patera have been pretty good for on a on a really bad Henderson team, and I don't think Yuri Patera is getting the call. No, it's going to be Brossois and Chris. So, so I, I I just wonder at, at what point does that phone ring? To Manny Viveros and say, "Hey, guess what? We're taking Loren Brossois." It's going to it's going to ring soon. And like you said, are they thinking about it? They are thinking about everything right now. That's going to get this team to start getting some checks in the winners' box, and that's the biggest thing. They need points. I mean, this team, you know, again, you know, they were leading the Western Conference for a long time, and it took this monumental, you know, the last ten games. I think they're two six and two, and it took that to get them out of first place. When all of a sudden they're chasing, we'll see what happens. They've got a break now. I think it's a huge break for them to get out, clear their minds. A guy like Logan Thompson, again, he's going to be in the All-Star game, but for all of them to get out, clear their minds before they come back. They come back on Tuesday, February the 7th, two games on the road, first against the Predators, then against the Minnesota Wild, and then finally on Super Bowl Sunday, February 12th at noon before the Super Bowl, they'll be home to take on the Anaheim Ducks, and that's uh, that's when the next time we'll see them here in Las Vegas. And as, as Chris said, you know, it's 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 almost a crime that they're raising ticket prices right now when fans are kind of a, a little bit disgruntled over what's going on. The one thing I will say, and I've always justified their ticket prices being higher, is I've always said this, and it is still kind of this way. It's a Vegas show, and then a hockey game breaks out, well, and that and that's why you're paying for the extra stuff that you don't see when you go to other arenas. Well, the other aspect of this as well is, look, you have a team that has seventeen dollars in cap space, so. You know, it's just the, the the way it works in professional sports. You 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 want low ticket prices. You're going to have a crappy team, yep. and, and I mean, I'm not saying that right now things are things are peachy keen in in in, in T-Mobile Arena, but 
you could have the you you could have the Ottawa Senators, you could have the Anaheim Ducks. No, I know. You, you know, you could have the Vancouver okay. Canucks, but but you have a team that has, despite the fact that they probably have under. There's no probably despite the fact that they have underperformed recently. You have a team and a front office that has gone out and tried to deliver a Stanley Cup. They're unlikely to succeed. It, it, it appears without Mark Stone in the lineup, but. The, the reality is this is a team that has shown that they are willing to spend that money. They're not just pocketing it. We, we've seen teams do that, especially in, no, in, they've in, done, in Chris, baseball. They, they, they've definitely done that. But, they've but, made the moves, and they've spent yeah. the money. So so the, the, there, there's two sides of that coin. There's, well, we want low ticket prices. Well, you're going to have a crappy product. You're going to have a crappy team. Well, 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 our ticket prices are really high. Well, yeah, because the team has gone out, and they have $17 in cap space. I, I can't even go and have a dinner at Applebee's for seventeen dollars. No, no, so, they, no you, you're you're one hundred percent right, and and uh, you know they they do spend the money. They do want to win. Bill Foley is you know a owner that absolutely presses this team to win. He's expecting a lot out of Kelly McCrimmon, and and he's expecting a lot out of Bruce Cassidy. They've spent the money, and he's expecting a lot out of his players. They and they deserve to have a lot of their players. But again, I don't blame the fans for starting to say, you know what, I'm getting rid my tickets, man. Prices are getting too high, and I'm not seeing this team go forward. I mean, they started, they, they they set the bar so high in year one that it's almost impossible to get back there. But this team, on paper, when completely healthy, should be a team that can compete with any team in the National Hockey League. Again, All-Star Game is next Saturday um, on the 4th, and it is going to be in Sunrise, Florida, the home of the Florida Panthers. And again, the only Vegas Golden Knight player to make that team is Logan Thompson. So uh, it's going to be it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to seeing Logan Thompson in the game. I can't imagine what a thrill it is for this guy. We've talked about it before. Uh, just a great story. His 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 trip and his story to get to the NHL is really really cool. And now the fact that he's an All Star in his first full season is even cooler. I wish him nothing but the best. We're going to move on. UNLV basketball, and I'm going to start right off. Kevin Kruger after the game after they beat um, UNR, which is a big game for them and talking about what has been different in the last two games with this team two games with this team um yeah honestly it's uh it just feels good to sit in here and feel kind of like this again it's been a it's been a little while since uh we played with that level of of security and confidence uh you know where we just had kind of that we stuck our chests out a little bit we had that that pride and a little bit of swagger that uh, good things were going to happen because we're playing hard and and you can always live with it if you just if you go out there and play as hard as you can and I thought tonight uh, guys did that well, what they did is they played really good defense, and they got a career high game out of um, out of Justin Weber, who uh, again just started hitting three pointers and continued continued that the entire game. I mean, he really he was really good from three point land, five of eight, but at one time he was five of six, and he really got this team over the hump. And the coolest thing about this game is it started reminding me of the Boise State game where they stayed in front, they kept the lead in the first half, and then Boise State blew them out in the second. 
second half. They came out a little bit flat in the second half, but immediately turned that around. And what turned that around was the defensive play of guys like E.J. Harkless, who's the best player on this team. He really stepped up yesterday, played great defense, played good two-way ball, and that was gigantic. And the funny thing was, though, after the game, Mike Ramallah, the Las Vegas Sun, asks Kevin Kruger, says, well, you've beaten UNR three straight times now. And he looks at him and he goes... Dude, like you know, and so uh, we and this is what Kevin right after he said, "Dude, I got it." Right afterwards, but this is what he had to say about that after the game. Well, the announcer jinx or whatever, writer jinx that one. Hopefully, doesn't come back to get us. But uh, no, I just think the guys have done a really good job. Um, last year, uh, I thought you know we, we were playing with some momentum uh, when we played Reno and. Uh, and then tonight to go out there and see the crowd and have that electricity and that that buzz that was going uh, certainly helped it helped us tonight. And, and like always, when we when we go up there, we know it'll be a packed house and a, and a, and a crazy fan base, and uh, it'll be a, a another probably great game in this series. I mean, it was a big win. When you beat UNR, you know, and bottom line, coached by Steve Alfred, it's just a big win. And the coolest thing about yesterday's win is, you know, I've been covering this game. Chris, you've been there. Spencer's been to games. I have not. I think the last time I saw a crowd this big was when UNLV beat Arizona under Dave Rice. I mean, this was almost 8,800 people in the stands. It, it felt every bit of it. And afterwards, I talk, I asked Kevin about, you know, the energy that when you have, a, a, you know, a nice house at, at the time. Thomas and Max Center, what it means to them. Kevin, biggest crowd we've seen here in a while. How much did you feed off the energy of the crowd tonight? Uh, it, there's no words you can put into how great it was to go out there and see that, how important it is. Um, hopefully they all had a great time. <laughs> and uh, uh, I know the guys appreciated it. And I know we appreciated it as a staff. Uh, kind of, you know, as a UNLV kind of the academic community, just going out there and seeing it, people cheering, people talking, uh, kind of had that buzz of a rivalry game. And um, there's no doubt, though, that uh, having the crowd get into it the way they got tonight was, was a huge reason and a huge part probably why we kind of kept that security and that confidence. No question about it, and the two really bright stars in that game and the reason they won, the defensive play of the team in general, how they really stepped up. They started coming out on the perimeter and defending on the perimeter, something they didn't do real well in the first half, uh, although they maintained the lead, but in the second half, defensively, they really stepped up the game, especially E.J. Harkless, the player of the game, and also Justin Webster, to have 17 points, uh, 15 of them coming on three-pointers. I mean, that's huge, and when they get outside shooting like that from a guy like Justin Webster who's not expected to be a double-digit guy per night, and E.J. Harkless does his thing, there's going to be good results. After the game, I ran out and I got a chance to talk to both Justin Weber and E.J. Harkless about this team, where they're at now, and what winning these last two games meant to them before they go on the road to take on Colorado State, who shouldn't have beat them, um, and did beat them in the last game by a last-second shot that tied it, and then a last-second shot that won it, won it in overtime, and this was a conversation I had with those two after the game. Huge win against the rival UNR. You guys, ever since the second half of the Boise State, you lose four straight games, and then you come out, you beat Wyoming, and then after the Wyoming game, huge game at home tonight against UNR. What does this mean, this two-game winning streak, after losing those four straight games? 
Uh, it's big for us. You know, it gives us the kind of confidence to go into these next couple games, you know, go into the second half of our uh, conference. So um, gives us all the confidence in the world. We, you know, we know what we're capable of. And um, as long as we go out there and play with confidence, play together, uh, we'll like the outcome. Justin, was it one of those games? I mean, you start off, you hit the three-pointers, you're just you're just feeling it. Every shot is going up and you're hitting it. How big is that for you and how motivational is that for this team? Um, it just gives me a lot of confidence. You know, these guys trust me to go out there and, and knock down shots, especially, um, you know, open ones, the ones where they drive and they find me. So um, it's just a good confidence booster for me. And it helps these guys. It helps guys like Elijah out getting down, getting downhill to the basket, allowing him to play in his mid-range. So it makes everybody's life easier. And so um, I credit these guys for helping me, um, you know, get, get these open shots tonight. EJ, defense is just, they say defense wins championship, defense wins game. It seems like in the in the first half, maybe a little bit every now and again, they were getting some open looks on the perimeter. You guys seem to shore that up in the second half, and at the end, some huge stops down the stretch to pull this one out. Yeah, when, when most definitely. That's something that Coach Tips has had on with us. Uh, great defensive group. Uh, you know, it's just, I'm just glad that we got the good result of actually winning. What have you guys learned these last couple of games? A lot of changes in the lineup, as they talked about in there. The benches seem to get less deep than it has been before. But what have you guys learned to go forward now that we're getting into the tail end of the Mountain West Conference uh, you know, season? You know, we just got to control what we can control. You know, the coach is going to put us in the best position to win games, and that's all we can do. You know, execute the game plan they have for us and go out there and try to do it to the best of our ability. EJ, that crowd tonight, I mean, I got to tell you, I've been covering this team for a long time. That's the biggest crowd I've seen in three years. What did that mean to you? Did that, guy, did that motivate the hell out of you guys going up? No, 100%. We heard them the whole time, even when they came in early. You know, it feels good to see people coming in early, an hour before the game, uh, just letting us know that they're there and supporting us in those hard times like they did. Uh, you know, we heard them all night. The other team definitely heard them. They were 50% from the line, you know, for, the mo- for, a, for a little while. Um, so, you know, that was just great to have them and hope to see them again. Speaking about the line, you guys, that was probably the one area you struggled the most from was the line today. What do you do to shore that up? Because if you hit after free throws, you miss, you win this game going away. Um, you know, just, you know, just going into practice, you know, just shooting more free throws. You know, it's nothing. We've been a great, uh, pretty good free throw shooting team all year. So I'm not too worried about it. I know these guys are going to knock down free throws and, um, I'm not too worried about it. Last question. You get to go on the road now against a team that maybe you should have won that beat you. You got to have a little chip on your shoulder get going to Colorado State on Tuesday. We got a chip on playing everybody, you know. So, uh, you know, we kind of had a bad first half of the conference. Uh, so now it's our time to get our get back and uh, let everybody know how good we are. I'll ask you a question both. What do you expect from this team going forward? Uh, I expect us to make a deep run into March Madness. So that's my expectations for everybody, and that's what we were built for, and that's what we're going to do. Justin? Same thing. You know, we're going to continue to fight. We're going to go out here and show these people that, um, you know, we might have struggled early, but we're still we're still a team that comes together and make a deep run in the tournament, just like uh, Elijah said. So congratulations, guys. What game? Yeah, well, let me correct myself. Justin Webster, I should get his name right since he had his career high yesterday. Five of six to start the game from the three-point line. Fifteen points then and two more with another late bucket that helped him out. Um, just, it was, it, the, the most fun thing about the game, again, was the crowd. I forgot what it was like to have the Thomas and Mack pretty much packed. I mean, even, you know, half the upper level was full. And again, I haven't seen that in a long time. And I do believe that teams feed off the energy of their crowds. Thomas and Mack is still a really cool place to play, and you see a huge crowd there. And I was going to say, you know, it might have been a little bit of layover because the the women's game had a decent crowd in that one, and that women's team is a team that can win the Mountain West Conference Tournament and even can probably win a game or two maybe in the NCAA Tournament. This women's team is very well coached. They've got a really good point guard and floor general, and they can play. I haven't been out to see them play yet, but I've talked to people that have been to a few games, and I'm excited about 
This year is probably going to be the first year, Chris, that I go to the Mountain West Conference Tournament and I actually watch both the women's and men's teams play. Yeah, you know what? The, the women's team deserves to, to have um, the, the, the city behind them. Um, you know, first off, Lindy LaRock, local, local girl, uh, grew up here. She played for her dad, Al, played with her sister at Durango High School. I can't remember the sister's name, but they were both stars. Uh, Lindy goes on to play at Stanford. You know how good you need to play for Tara Vanderveer and play at a, at a program. Stanford, one of the elites of women's college basketball, and they've been doing it for a long, long time. So you have to be an exceptional player yep. to play there. Uh, she learned the game under her father, who was an incredible high school basketball coach here locally at Durango. Um, and and the job that that she's doing, I mean, I would I would argue she's she's doing the best job of any coach on the campus of of UNLV. Uh, the women's volleyball coach just left. She also was doing an incredible job. Uh, but but Lindy and and the women's basketball team, the the girls who go out there, look, they're twenty and two. They are undefeated in the Mountain West. They they humiliated that disgusting school up north last night. Kicked their ass. A double win over them. That's yeah, pretty yeah, cool. A sweep. Women and the men's team sweep that 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 awful joke of a of a school up north. I hope there's some Reno fans listening and they're grinding their teeth. <laughs> uh, but 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 Brian, look, I mean the the, the women's program, they're they're doing an, a, a phenomenal job. They they've got a lot of local kids as well. Uh, I, I think, you know, if you're a fan of basketball, whether it's men's or women's, you should go out there. The Aces go out there and support them. Uh, you know, we, 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 we know how close the two programs have become uh, because it's something that the Aces have taken the, the, the initiative and UNLV has responded really well. I think there's a, there's some some success that what what is what is success breeds success. And the Aces have been a successful program starting with Bill Lambeer and, and now uh, Becky Hammond. Former Colorado State player, by the way, Becky Hammond. Yep. So uh, be- better, better. Uh, I, you know, there was a time I thought Becky Hammond was going to be the the men's coach at at CSU. It still might happen, but I think I think Becky's going to end up in the NBA somewhere. Uh, but but look, I mean, we we have two incredible coaches of our women's teams here in, in, in basketball, yeah. and and it just speaks to the growth of of the women's game. And, and I'm happy to see it. I'm an alum. I, I, I support all the programs. I donate money to the school, um, to the athletic programs. So, you know, it's one of those things where, where go out there, support the women. If you yeah. like the game of basketball, it shouldn't matter if it's women's or men's. They play a good game. They play a clean game, and, and it's a lot of fun. And, no, I'll and, tell you, they'll need it during the conference tournament, man. Oh, I think everyone yeah, should get yeah. out there, support this team, yep. because they should definitely be able to make a run and win the Mountain West Conference. And and again, I, I, think I just hope team, they don't they don't get screwed like they did last year and yep. they get stuck playing, because that's the one thing with the women's tournament. Those first and second round games are on campus. Um, I think UConn, actually, because they draw so well, I think they actually play their games at the Mohegan Sun. But usually the games are on campus, so the higher the higher seeded teams usually have a huge huge advantage because they're playing games on their home floor. But you know, unfortunately, the Mountain West is a one bid league. Um, you know, the, the the losses of TCU and and Utah really really hurt the Mountain West when it came to women's basketball. But they haven't been been able to recover. But but UNLV is is trying, and you know, for for a while, Fresno was really good. And, uh, you know, it seems to be, what is it, cyclical? I don't even know how to say it. It, it just seems to teams go and runs. And, and Wyoming was good for a while in New Mexico, but now it's UNLV's turn. And, 
you know, get out there, support the Lady Rebels, especially in that conference tournament, because it's a possibility if they don't win that thing, they're not going to the no, NCAA tournament. But it's, a, it's a real possibility that no, as good as they play, 25 wins may not get them in there coming from the Mountain West. Um, but again, looking ahead, uh, UNLV looks to, uh, no pun intended, rebound uh, from their loss to Colorado State at home, which was a really ugly loss in a game I think they should have won and they think they should have won, and they need to go out there and beat them. That would be three straight wins, and maybe this team can get on some type of a roll, gain some confidence, but the key to this team's success is going to be the way they play defensively. And E.J. Harkless, guys like that have to really step up and play good good defensive basketball. And, you know, who knows? UNLV, the key is they want to get themselves so they're not playing in a play-in game in the Mountain West Conference Tournament. I think that'll help them out a great deal. Uh, Spence, go ahead. Hit it. Let's get to Fact This. Fact this. If you don't like the facts, take your ass back to bed. Fact this. It is a fact. When future Hall of Famer, 36-year-old Candace Parker, signs her contract with the Las Vegas Aces, she will be the fourth number one overall draft pick on the roster. This means the Las Vegas Aces will be far and away the odds-on favorite to win back-to-back WNBA championships. Candace Parker, you know, you're talking about a two-time WNBA champion, a two-time WNBA MVP, a seven-time All-Star, a future Hall of Famer. This team is stacked. And if you're wondering who the other three are besides her, Kelsey Plum, Jackie Young, Asia Wilson, also all first overall draft picks by the Aces. They were all drafted by the Aces. However, you've got, uh, again, you've got um, Candace Parker coming in now, and this is one of the greatest players in women's basketball history. This is going to be, she's 36 years old, definitely on the backside of her career, but I think enough gas left in the tank where she would be a more a, a, a player to replace somebody like De'Erica Hanby, and I think it's a better fit for the Aces right now, and looking forward to that. Real quickly, before we get into the bones, which I do want to talk about, uh, Novak Djokovic, if you didn't hear, won his 10th Australian Open. He's 10-0 in Australian Open Finals. He he plays as well over there as anybody. And Estafis, uh Tits... Pass or so I guess. City pass. Yeah, city pass. Tizzy yeah. pass. I, it, it's spelled pretty funny, but yeah. three six and then two tie breaks after that to win uh, going away one one in straight sets six three seven six seven six and uh, he reclaims the number one ranking in the world. This guy's just unbelievable. The Joker. twenty twenty two career wins ties Rafael Nadal yep. for the most all time. You know we tennis doesn't get a lot of coverage, especially on sports radio. But man, to think. That we went from a time when when it was Andre Agassi and Pete Sampras, those were those guys were, and and obviously there were some other guys in there, but they were the best you in know, the world. Lendl, Edberg, yep. uh, Boris Becker, but we we went from those guys and they passed the torch to the three great. I mean, imagine a sport where you have the three greatest players of, of all, all time, time playing at the same time. playing at. I mean, the dominance of Federer. I mean, Federer's Nadal, getting up there, but he's still. I, well, Federer retired. Yeah. And and Nadal probably not far behind, but you know to think that that these three guys played at a time where where the they they were the three most dominant athletes in any sport at any time, and they all happened to play in the same era. I mean, could you imagine how many a guy like Nadal would have won if he didn't have to compete against Djokovic? Oh, no or, doubt about it. He would have won like sixty. Those guys, those guys are the best. Uh, are the best that ever played. As it's far not, as it's three not guys, like when Richard Petty was driving no. against guys who worked as mechanics at the local Shell station. No. 
on during the week. I mean, this is completely different. I, I mean, agree. It, it, it's it's it's. I mean, I I, I can't. It, it's there's really no words for it. No, it's been really cool. It's been a good run, even if you weren't a huge tennis fan to see tennis in the modern era with those three guys. And and what's really cool is none of them at any point in time stood out to the point that he can beat the other guy. Any one of them could beat each other on a given on a given tournament, and that's what made it so cool. Spence, I wanted to get your take. We didn't get it last week on the Las Vegas Raiders and the Bones. And, um, you know, the Raiders, obviously, Spencer has been a detractor of Derek Carr's from the very beginning. We've all known that. And they finally move on from Derek Carr. Um, He is kind of the scapegoat of a bad coach in Josh McDaniels. I'll say a bad general manager in Dave Ziegler. And Derek Carr is going to take the brunt of this. A hell of a nice guy. But, Spencer, I can't argue this guy has not, in the biggest moments when they've needed him to step up, he has been unable to do so. So they move on from Derek Carr. I want your thoughts on that, and I want your thoughts on who is going to be the heir apparent. What a bad GM! I don't know where you get that from, Brian. I know a guy who got a starting offensive lineman in the third round. Okay, was a, they created a top ten offensive line with a bunch of nobodies. Okay, so that's off of it. He got the best wide receiver in football, so I don't know where that comes from. I got to start there. But the only reason Derek Carr is not going to be the quarterback for the Raiders next year is because he was bad. This was legitimately the worst season he had. Look at that Pittsburgh game. One of the worst performances of his career. Josh McDaniels didn't tell him to throw all those picks. Josh McDaniels didn't tell him to overthrow Devontae Adams. Look, the biggest problem that we saw with Josh McDaniels this year, and there were some, obviously, it's a bad season, was his in-game decisions. His scheme, I truly believe, is one of the best in the NFL. He got one of the most productive wide receivers on the field and one of the most productive running backs all in the same season. That's incredible. Now, if he can shore up those bad decisions, that's one thing. This was a bad roster. And, yes, I guess Derek Carr does take some blame for a horrible, horrible roster. But that's from Mike Mayock and John Gruden being some of the worst two tandem people in the history of the NFL. They are trying to clean up those mistakes forever. Uh, I don't know who's going to be the quarterback next year. And you don't think it's going to be Tom Brady. I think there's a really high chance that it's Tom Brady. This is Josh McDaniels. He obviously knows the guy very well. He's a bachelor. He can live in Las Vegas. Like all those factors, I think, are big things that people don't really talk about with Tom Brady. Imagine being a 45 year old bachelor in Las Vegas. It's probably the best city in the NFL to play in for that. The problem with Tom Brady last year, yes, he is old, but this is also a guy who they told him to throw 40 plus, 50 plus times in a playoff game at his age. He's going to come to Vegas if they can get Josh uh, Daniels or uh, if they can get Jacobs back into the lineup. This is a team where they can run the ball consistently. He's not going to have to pass the ball a thousand times, and I think that'd be the best thing for him. Also, for the Raiders, he doesn't take a huge contract, which would be a big benefit to them, and they can focus more on drafting defense and signing guys in free agency through defense. And whatever picks you get for Derek Carr, you can also flip those assets for defense. I think that's the best-case scenario for the Raiders next year. You know, Spencer, what I will say about it is I didn't say I didn't think Tom Brady was going to come here. I think Tom Brady is not what they're looking for if they want to win immediately. I mean, this this team has to shore up that defense, as you just mentioned. I mean, you need a complimentary guy to Max Crosby. Chandler Jones didn't turn out to be that guy. Denzel Perryman's one of the free agents. We talk. Everyone's talking about re-signing Josh McDaniels. What are they going to? Excuse me, Josh Jacobs. What are they going to do with uh, Darren Waller? No one's talking about Denzel Perryman, who really has shored up the middle of that defense. When he is healthy, that is a different defense. That guy plays well, 
and somebody I think they need to re-sign as well. They do need to go out and find a secondary, and the point is with Tom Brady, if he comes here, he is looking for another ring. Yes, being a, bat, a 45, he'll be 46 in August. Your old bachelor in Vegas might be great. Rumor is he's got a girlfriend anyways already, and the second thing is, is again, if he wants to win a Super Bowl, this Raiders team, I don't think, is on the brink of turning a page to a Super Bowl. So where would he go to win a Super Bowl? That's what I think Tom Brady's looking at, but I do agree he is the number one option and the number one guy the Raiders want. I'd say another guy to look at would be Aaron Rodgers, reuniting with Devontae Adams. That would soften the blow of his good friend Derek Carr being ousted out of town. You bring Aaron Rodgers in, look at the weapons he would have. Um, you know, Houses turned into a, a, a real good wide receiver, and you've got, you know, in Hunter Renfro, maybe one, the best slot receiver in the game, or at least one of them when he's healthy. And again, if they re-sign Josh Jacobs that huge, I don't think Darren Waller's going to be back. I think they'll use, they'll get more money for their cap from him, and I think that, that they've seen Foster Moreau develop into the point where he could be a number one tight end. So that's the one free agent I think they will probably move on. I do think they need to re-sign Denzel Perryman. There's a lot of other free agents. But again, Rodgers to me would be a better option than Brady. I think he's got more gas left in the tank. And yeah, Tom Brady threw 66 times in that playoff game against the Dallas Cowboys. And he played well in the fourth quarter. And his offensive line was makeshift. And and he didn't see him and Mike Evans didn't seem to be on the same page. But I think, like I said, and I've said this many times, father time and mother nature are undefeated. At some point, a 46-year-old quarterback of the National Football League, and every time he steps in the field, he breaks his own record of being the oldest guy to ever start a game at quarterback in the National Football League. I think it's too much. Another guy to look at here, and I know there's some interest in Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, he's a guy that'll be a free agent this offseason and could be a long-term bridge to the Raiders quarterback of the future. Garoppolo may not be much of an upgrade over Carr, but he would probably be cheaper. And then you look at a guy like Baker Mayfield. You know, I don't think anyone here loves Baker Mayfield as the heir apparent to anybody. But right now, where this Raiders team is, he's a competitor. He's a guy that goes out and tries to win every game. And then if you know you got Jarrett Stidham as his backup, he's got a little bit of moxie in him. And Jarrett Stidham didn't play terrible. And then you look at a rookie. I mean, the Raiders just might go out and look for a guy like Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, or maybe Will Will Levi. I mean, these are guys that, that I think you could look at as well. And then there's long shots, guys like Geno Smith, but I think he proved his value in Seattle. Jared Goff, it's a joke because the Lions have all these 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 five picks in the first two rounds. Would they go out and try a rookie and maybe get a bunch of money for Jared Goff after a great season? No way he's going to stay in Detroit. Russell Wilson, it seems like the... the um, GEO of the Broncos, uh, Greg Penner said, um, or, and also the GM, George uh, Patton, also said on Tuesday uh, they're considering uh, keeping Russell Wilson around and they, they, they think he's looking at um, sticking around. Ryan Tannehill, an option, I don't really see that. So I think it's going to be somebody like Brady or Garoppolo. I don't think Rodgers will end up here based on the contract that he has in Green Bay, but I think, in all honesty, I think Garoppolo is a better option than Brady right now because Brady's a one-year plug, and he wants to win a Super Bowl. That's not going to happen with the Raiders. Listen, guys, we'll move on real quick with the last. I want to talk about the two championship games today, starting with the first game that is uh, at noon our time today. Uh, 
a, a great game. You're talking about San Francisco and Philadelphia, two of the best defenses in the National Football League. Defense wins championship. It's pretty crazy. You know the combined age of the starting quarterbacks in this game in uh, Brock Purdy and Jalen Hurts. The youngest combined age in history uh, is 40, a little over 47 years old. If you add the two of their ages together, um, you know, again, it, it's nev- that's never happened before. Both teams, again, have great running games when you look at these two teams. You know, look at San Francisco. In the last eight games, they've rushed for 100 or more yards. Christian McCaffrey, arguably the best uh, all-purpose back in the National Football League when he's healthy. And looking on the Eagles' side, I mean, Miles Sanders has really turned into one of the better backs in the league. They led the NFL with 35 rushing touchdowns this year. So running is going to be a big part of both these games. Both of them, as I mentioned, have elite defenses, including the postseason. The Eagles have 75 sacks, the most by any team since the 1985 Bears. And the 49ers have held teams to an average of 17 points per game, the best in the NFL this year. To me, here's the Eagles' focus to win this game because I think it's going to be tough. I know they're slight favorites. I know the game's in Philadelphia, but it's not the old vet where you're playing on cement. This is a team where both teams will be able to get the field I don't know what the weather's like. I haven't looked today in Philadelphia, but the key is I've got three. Oh, it's crap. Well, here's the three keys I've got to this game. Number one is takeaways, okay? The 49ers are 0-4 this season when they turn the ball over two or more times. They're 15-0 and when it's less than that. And it, to me, that's gigantic. Trying to take the ball away. Tackles. Okay, Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuels cannot get loose. The 49ers have the number one run-after-the-catch offense in the National Football League. They've got to make sure tackles on Philadelphia. And to me, the number three thing, and I think the one thing everyone's talking about, is attack Brock Purdy. Mr. Irrelevant, um, uh, taken with the last pick in the draft, obviously, is coming into a hostile environment at Lincoln Financial Field and is going up against the number one sacks defense in the National Football League. Brock Purdy, the one thing about him, he has done more than be a game manager for the San Francisco 49ers. He has actually made plays both with his legs and his arms. We saw him drop down and do a sidearm pass a la Patrick Mahomes in the last game. He's going to be huge. Uh, Again, Brock Purdy is trying to become the first rookie quarterback to win a conference championship game in NFL history. You want to know the other ones? Mark Sanchez in 2009, as Chris knows well, lost in the conference championship game. Joe Flacco in 2008, lost. Ben Roethlisberger in 2004, lost. And 1999, no one would ever get this one, Sean King lost as a rookie in the conference championship game. Um... Brock Purdy can do it. This kid is for real. But San Francisco 2-5 and all-time on the road in NC in uh, NFC title games. We're going to see what happens. I think it's going to be a great game, and I'm thinking the 49ers are going to win this one. And, and, and I'll get your guys' take on both of them. I just want to say the AFC championship game starts at 3.30 today. Today, Cincinnati franchise record 10-game winning streak. Joe Burrow in the postseason so far in two games. 451 yards passing, three touchdowns, and a rushing touchdown. I mean, he's the new Joe Cool. He's unbelievable. In Week 17 um, of this this season, uh, Cincinnati, um, and I guess, excuse me, last season, Cincinnati, uh, Jamar Chase had three TDs to set an NFL rookie for a record for a rookie. 266 receiving yards, and the Bengals overcame a 14-point deficit. They also 
also won a few weeks later in the AFC title game, and this year uh, they also won the third time. Joe, Joe Burrow, eight passing TDs, one interception, and sacks t- six times uh, total against the 49ers in those three games. It's going to be defense, defense, defense in that game as much as you think it's going to be offense, offense, offense. Can Joe Burrow continue to do what he does with a makeshift offensive line and how healthy is Patrick Mahomes? Defenses are going to, believe it or not, dictate that game as well. Guys, real quick, your take, Chris. Who's going to win the games? Well, everyone's picking Cincinnati, so I'm going with KC in that one. And I, I, I don't think Brock Purdy needs to be especially good. I think San Francisco is the best team in the NFC going to Philly and trying to win is tough, but I think they get it done. Spence? Uh, I'm going to go with Chiefs and Eagles into the Super Bowl. I am taking the Bengals on that game. I didn't say that as well. I think it's going to be Bengals and San Francisco. 